0: Fist or about to compel your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, George R. Martin did it better. Well, he didn't say it out loud, although if he did, I'm sure his accent would be more accurate.
1: I wonder if he does these accents that I'm hearing on the audiobook, if he just in his head or if there's any kind of way to translate them or communicate with them.
0: It's Game of Owns. We're pondering very deep discussionary topics on this show, you know? Like if George is sitting at home writing, you know, he's working on book six. He's like, what is this guy going to say? Do you think he is saying it out loud? Like maybe he's doing Patchface's accent. And he's like, ooh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's Patchface's accent. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, because otherwise it's just Roy Dotris has all the fun. Um And I'm pretty sure that's not the case. So so I, I think George is there do, do, doing that. Yeah, I, I would do that. If I had like a thousand characters' voices in my head, I'm sure that I would just have to uh every once in a while go into the sing-song voice of Patchface.
0: Sometimes I go into the sing-song voice of Micah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, often a I think that a lot of people that do that. If I were That's to I if I were ever to write fiction, something tells me I I would end up um dictating it to like a recording device and typing it down later. I would probably for long passages, so
0: It's very Roger Sterling of you.
1: Ooh. <laughs> you know, I I don't I can't tell if you're talking about uh madman up to two seasons ago when i've still watched it <laughs> or if did if you watch
0: stop watching it
1: uh, not not really by like i didn't make a conscious decision i just i stopped i stopped seeing it if that's what you're asking
0: so you stopped watching
1: yeah as far as i'm concerned uh jared harris is still alive
0: oh you know about that then
1: yeah
2: but
0: yeah yeah and now
2: so does everybody who listens to this show oh.
0: speaking of things that have died <laughs> <laughs> looking at uh May uh, um winnerscoming.net right now and Kat Taylor, a friend of the show, who has been on a few episodes. Um and we know her role in the community working with directly with the show. But if you guys don't, that's something you can look up on your own. You can just Google away. But uh she has a new post on the Making Game of Thrones website that's uh official with HBO and stuff and progress of the show. And right now I'm looking at uh, the paint hall over there in Ireland, where unfortunately it seems like the eerie has come to an end. That big beautiful set is gone.
1: Uh, do they do they like? Does it like burn down? I don't understand. Are they just gonna rebuild it later when they need it again? Or uh, were you able to determine that from her from her posts?
0: I mean, it looks like. Uh, that they're not going to be needing to use it again. But you know, the main purpose of this, I, I suppose, and is what she writes. You, know, you guys can look it up on your own and read it. She says that they're needing to clear it out because they need space for a different set. Mm-hmm. There you go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that um. is quite puzzling but I'll leave it at that.
1: Yeah, designed by Gemma Jackson and constructed one of the large cells in the old paint hall building, the eerie set was a full set. No trick shots or visual effects were necessary to create the walls that stood in the round. They were built that way, in sections similar to pie slices mm. on a towering timber frame, built with a raised platform to accommodate space for the moon door. Oh. Man, they had a functioning moon door. How badass is that?
0: That's pretty cool. It's kind of sad to see these things go down, but I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, it's part of it.
1: You know, the thing of it is though, is part of, um, part of building these to begin with is they have all the specs. Um, so if they do ever need to build it again, they can just, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have it right back up in no time. Like they completely rebuilt the Chamber of Secrets for uh, Deathly Alice part two, um, based on the specs that the very, uh, attention to detailed, uh, you know, constructioners, uh, from earlier films had written down. So. I hope we'll be seeing it again. At least this is season four, so we still can look forward to seeing it even though it's going away.
0: <laughs> I still have a set here at the factory. Literally it's mm. you know, like thirty feet in front of me, towering in the middle of this place, and I just can't bring it to myself to tear it down, so they've got more I mean, obviously they need the room and I don't, so there you go. <laughs>
2: yeah, well uh as one could probably deduce from the comment I made earlier, there's uh Definitely a scene or two that will take place at the Erie in season four. So uh, I'm assuming that moving into future seasons, should other events also take place uh, at the Erie, that they will find a way around utilizing that particular set.
1: Kat says without giving too much away for the non-book reading viewers, it is expected for some scenes to take place at the Erie beyond season four. But it looks like the scenes will only be set in rooms other than the memorable Great Hall going forward.
0: The filming that needed to be done for season four obviously took place before this happened, if it needed to be in the main hall. So, uh, interesting. Hmm. Mm. I feel like it's a chin scratcher right now, and like three quarters of you listening that are, uh, that are ahead in the books further than Eric and I are just like, ah, oh, those bastards.
2: <laughs> Should I do what I did with the Red Wedding and, and say, it's a pretty no. major scene. <laughs> just don't give it initials or colors. <laughs> no yeah. colors, no initials. Do you
0: know how long I was terrified of the red wedding? Um, R-W. For like years, yeah, for oh. y- literally so many months, I'm just like, oh no! It was well, RW. Was it not worth being terrified for? I mean, now I when I can't even I don't want to replicate the feelings that I had when it did happen. But yes, to answer your question, yes, a resounding yes. Yes.
1: No more initials or colors. Good call, Zach.
0: So speaking of the Indian in the cupboard, uh, great film. Um, I forget what we were talking about. Do you think there are we any think...
1: cupboards at the Erie?
0: Well, speaking of Cats. We could use Cats or we could use Lysa Aaron
1: Ooh, I like Cats better, but...
0: Yeah, Cats is good.
1: But it was not bad to do the Lysa Erin thing.
0: The chapter in which we are dissecting. That's a new verb for what we'll be doing to a chapter in this episode of Game of <laughs> Bones. Uh, deals directly with a Ms. Catelyn Stark.
1: It does, you know, and, and, and Kat is able to return to River Run. And this is, she's very happy to be back. Mm. Of course, she's just coming from the Renly Stannis camp after what has happened to Renly. I feel like there was a chapter when they were just on the road, but things are kind of going pretty quickly for me, so I'm not sure. But, um, actually before they arrive at Riverrun, there's an important scene between Catelyn and Brienne.
2: Yeah. But, uh, I was going to say that not only is she happy to be at Riverrun, but it's noted that she was never happier to see the banners of House Frey. Hmm. Ironic.
1: Well, it's, it's just the point about why I haven't already skipped ahead to her being at Riverrun. Uh, is because when she gets there, she sees these men hanging from the the walls, or the rafters, whatever you want to call them, the battlements. And so, rafters. that basically allows, that basically holds her up. And it's not exactly the, you know, return that she's expecting. She's like, oh, something happened here. Uh, and of course she has to figure out what. But seriously, man, give Brienne her due. Man, Brienne just got, uh, promoted or knighted or anointed or whatever you want to call it. Um, She is now in Catlin's service. How about
0: that? It was uh, an epic part of the chapter, and I feel like they almost captured it perfectly in the TV show. I, I don't mm-hmm. want to say line for line, but essentially the moment was captured where the conversation between Brienne leaving and going somewhere else once they've reached where Cat needs to go mm-hmm. um happens. And Cat's basically like, I don't know if I want you to leave because I know where you're going to go. And I'm not even going to guess. I'm just going to say it. You can nod or just... uh don't do anything if the answer is no. And she's like, "Are you going to Storms End?" She's like, "Yeah." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Catelyn really was on fire um, in this episode with guessing people's motivations. Uh, Of course, later on with her brother Edmure, she's like, <laughs> "So where were you when these men tried to break out the Kingslayer?" And he's like, "I was, you know, well, it's just well, so well, weird, you know, was just, <laughs> I was downstairs walking. You were whoring. Okay. You were whoring. You were whoring, weren't you? <laughs> just admit it." She, and he's like. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was whoring. I'm a stupid bitch. Uh, yeah. So Catelyn <laughs> h- hits the nail right on the head. And, uh, of course she feels this, um, compassion for Brienne. And, and he, this is, I found to be interesting because, uh, she didn't give a lick about Theon Greyjoy or Jon Snow, but this woman who is, can clearly handle her own, um, in battle is gonna go kill a bunch of people. Uh, to avenge Renly's death. And she's like, no, I think you'd be better changing my chamber pot. And, and you want to do this and it's nicer and, and I'll always feed you. Um, So why don't you come stay with me? And, and Brienne's like, okay, I can do that.
0: That's so sour. I mean, in a way, I mean, in a hilarious context, that's kind of the case. But I feel like, you know, Brienne was kind of at a loss here. You know, she was still wearing the rainbow cloak that Renly had given her. You know, she was kind of in mismatched male clothing from some of the guys in the and the yeah. traveling company. But this is this is a, a girl that had her position and basically had everything she had ever wanted and got to see someone that she loved, even kind of interestingly, it was still a way of love. Everything get ripped out in front of her and now almost just fleeing from a place that she was, you know, a rainbow guard. And... I don't know. I think this is a kindness because Catelyn knows the kinds of people that are knights, and I felt like Catelyn saw this as a kindness to her because she knows that it's going to be a grounded situation if she hangs out with her.
1: And 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 it is also giving somebody who's lost their chief purpose a new purpose, and and that and that's why this scene, you know, is emotional and clicks, and I think it hits all the right notes because Brienne is looking for. It is She is looking for something to, to <laughs> do, for someone to protect, and just based on their travels together so far, you know, Brienne kind of realizes that Catelyn's the kind of person that she could get along with and would, you know, be able to protect.
2: Yeah. That, well, they both have a high level of respect for each other, and I think that's evident in this particular moment, and I think that Catelyn also realizes that, as you pointed out earlier, if she does, in fact, decide to go back to Storm's End— It means certain death for her. Not that Brienne really seems to care about that at the end of the day. If nothing else, she looks forward to avenging Renly's death and, you know, she even makes Catalan promise that should that opportunity arise, that Catalan will not stand in her way of, you know, going after Stannis. Uh, but I also think that, you know, should she have even decided to go back to Camp Renly, uh, which is more or less in disarray at this point, she would also be in danger because they hold her potentially responsible as well as Caitlin for what's happened to Renly.
1: Yeah, um, and and that's kind of the interesting part of it is the, the idea that she would still be a suspect or still be kind of accused because the the people that that Catlin and Brienne said didn't do it or said that they didn't do it too are either all dead or there was just a few people like the rumors in the end are, are are what's going to get you. And even when Catlin arrives at Riverrun, everybody's asking, okay, so what happened with Renly? Because we heard some woman did it, you know, we heard something else did it. And, and Catlin's just like, well, we're not, she doesn't even answer them straight. She's like, we were both there. Yes, but we didn't Um, do it because even the people at Riverrun suspect Brienne maybe, would have done it.
0: And it's really hard to tell people that you saw a shadow kill a king.
1: <laughs> I thought she was going to go for it. I really did, but it kind of wasn't the the right mood. You know, it wasn't the, the time or place. And I think she, she does weigh that decision and decide that there's other, I guess there's other stuff going on. People are worrying about real tactical battle stuff, you know, in this, com- in the greater conversation that happens during this chapter. So maybe that's why she didn't bring the supernatural into it, even though she, she well could have since she was asked specifically what happened to Renly.
2: Right.
0: When, when cat rolls into the red fork with Brianne, they're speaking with Martin rivers. Who's one of the riverlands bastards. And I was almost expecting Catlin to just kind of be an ass to this kid, you know, because he's a bastard. And I think she's kind of, you know how she didn't really want to be nice to the girl at the Erie when they were heading up the mountain. Mm-hmm. I just felt like, you know, this is a, 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 a part of Catelyn that she's that we're not really proud of. You know, like yeah. she doesn't really like John, she's prejudiced against people that, from what we've seen, the way she was to Maya Stone, she seems sort of prejudiced against these people. But I think with what has happened with Rinley, with with all of these differences, and now hanging out with the girl, night, Rin, uh, Brienne, her attitude is slightly changing a bit, and also it might be because Martin is carrying all these great stories of Rob's victories at the Oxcross and all of these things he's doing correctly and how his army is moving westward and how they may even get enough courage to strike something like Castley Rock. I mean, why the hell not? Right.
1: You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, Rob had this great, I, I guess, tri- moment of triumph here in kind of the background. We're finding out, uh, again in a Catelyn chapter, actually what's happening with Rob. So that's kind of keeping with the, uh, um, tradition there for, for, for George to be furthering both characters story in a Catlin chapter. But here's a uh, kind of a quote from the book. Um, basically she finds out that Rob was able to sneak past, is it the, the tooth um, in order to get where, where he needs to go? Uh, so she says something like, uh, to her men, she's like, well, he never could have taken the tooth. And they say, quote, he never took it. He slipped around it in the night. It said the dire wolf showed him the way, that gray mm-hmm. wind of his. The beast sniffed out a goat track that wound down uh, feel and up along beneath a ridge, a crooked and stony way, yet wide enough for men riding single file. The Lannisters in their watchtowers got not so much as a glimpse of them. Rivers lowered his voice. There some say that after the battle... The king cut out Stafford Lannister's heart and fed it to the wolf. <laughs> and Catelyn said, "I would not believe such tales. My son is no savage. Rob <laughs> is no savage. Rob is no savage."
2: Yeah, there's always these ridiculous tales about Rob and Greywind that come back from battle. Whether it's in Catalan's chapters or Arya's chapters, it always seems as if you know he he rides his dire wolf into battle or. <laughs> He rips out his enemy's heart.
1: He's got a ten-foot wolf. I mean, come on. <laughs> Even
2: Catelyn though notes in this chapter that they're no common wolves. You know, she knows that there's something very odd about them. That, that somebody notes that they, that they're almost uh, a gift from the gods. Right? That there were yeah, great John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they were. I'm sure Catelyn would not want John to be included. Uh, so uh, she she realizes that there's something much larger at play here than just her son going to war that perhaps this is predestined in some way.
0: I think it was kind of cool that Catelyn even mentioned that john got a damn wolf <laughs> you know she <laughs> when she she was recounting this chapter what happened with him and i was just like wow that's a lot more credit than we're used to but uh you know she she knows that something is curious about these wolves and that just makes me think of ghosts and how how much this is so similar to how ghosts led john to the cache of dragonglass to the obsidian but exactly you know, it, right in this story graywind's like rob i got you man Take this way and everyone will survive. We gotta walk in a weird single file line, but check this out. We can take all of the teeth, even the tooth if we want.
1: These wolves are, I, I think, I hope that, you know, we're seeing these clever, clever wolves, how clever these wolves can be. I hope that's their, their main feature that, that isn't also shared by dragons. Because if dragons and dire wolves ever face each other, I want the cleverness of the wolves to uh help them survive it,
0: like against the size of the dragons
1: yeah yeah the size the fact that they can fly and breathe fire
0: and everything else (laughs) for dragons (laughs) i just hope dragons aren't as clever
1: as the direwolves let's just say that you know what i'm saying because every every creature has a weakness
0: it's gotta be well also swimming for For
2: dragons dragons, it's the megaton hammer Gotta
0: get Volvega with the uh, hammer right on Damn, his finger. Micah made a reference. It's I don't tail. understand. Not it's you a too, Micah. Zelda reference. reference. Zelda. Oh,
1: oh God. Man. The Fire Temple. Oh, yeah. Not you too, Micah. Not you too.
0: <laughs> I, I forgot
2: time. Eric did not partake in uh, Zelda as a child.
1: I played the first game, the very
0: first one. For Nintendo? Yeah,
2: that's how Robert was able to defeat the
0: Targaryens in the first time in the first battle. God, that makes so much sense. It doesn't it? Did he a Warhammer.
2: George definitely played Zelda.
0: <laughs> speaking of George, this reminds me of what you said on Monday's episode when he was speaking at, at Capclave about how he considered, you know, like if I ever did it again, I'd go back and, and do a Rob chapter and and write from Rob's perspective. And I just feel I don't want to say cheated because these books are so great, but I feel so much cheated in a way <laughs> that we didn't get a chapter. Well. Where Rob in Greywind and his men, and the dialogue between Rob and the, the great John, and they're they're like, well, we got to follow Greywind, like follow him, he's going down the hill. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. would be so cool to read, like when hearing about a third person sucks.
1: Yeah, 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 you pointed out though that that is similar to the John chapter, and we did get that firsthand. So the fact that he's following his wolf into the dark abyss and he doesn't know where it's leading, right. etc. So maybe it would have been too similar. I mean, maybe that's another reason why it was just done in the background.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. But I still, I like Rob, so that'd be cool to see. Yeah. I'm just a little
2: biased. I feel like, though, the same way that we're getting this with Rob, we also get a lot of it as it relates to Brienne. And I know that we touched on it earlier, but the good thing is that Brienne does become a point of view character, Later on, and I feel like it's just it's building up though in this chapter, particularly when Catelyn makes a comment about her when she says there are walls around this one higher than Winterfell's, and you know just to hear that, and then to know that later on, not in this book obviously, but in later books. Um, that you're going to get inside of her head to see exactly what's going on and to kind of break down those walls a little bit,
0: which is why I think she's the perfect counterpart to Jamie because he's he's very similar in a way with his pride and and the things he doesn't like to necessarily tell people about that kind of hides the interior person that is him and not the Kingslayer. So that's interesting how George put
2: them together as well. And I know that we we probably touched on this uh, earlier on when we were doing our chapter analysis for clash of kings but you know we're already introduced now to characters that don't really take shape in the tv show until season three you know one of them being edmure and the other being uh blackfish who we know uh from this chapter is now off with rob but we do get a lot of dialogue between brother and sister here uh in this chapter
0: So this is where everyone makes their Edmure jokes like this is I guess is the beginning of it right this is the seeds like oh Edmure's a dumbass like he and like in the show we manifest that with he can't shoot a guy uh, on a canoe to set him on fire like oh what a dumbass you know blackfish needs to do it for you but I guess is this where it starts I
1: mean yeah I can't remember anything comical but also negative said about Edmure
0: before this She said he had a soft mind (laughs) okay okay. You know what I mean? Like, that's, I mean, but it's brother and sister, so we can completely understand that. Yeah. And he is her little brother, so we can completely understand that. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's cute because men are hanging on the walls, but it's
1: cute. <laughs> well, I, I'm just glad. Here's the thing, um, about that escape plan is that apparently somebody does a really cool Edmure impression, like, really accurate impression of, of him, a mummer. Who sounded like him and I was taken to the scene in the animated Peter Pan where <laughs> oh, Peter Jesus. Pan is doing the hook voice. Smee! Yeah. Get the boat, Smee! You know, oh, and Smee's Smee. like, oh, Captain, oh, Captain. Yeah, yeah. Better
0: stop me, Smee! <laughs> <laughs> Different, yes. It yes. makes me think of Catch Me If You Can when they do the same thing in this, uh, it's a modern magician movie. And I, I mean, I don't want to go off topic because this is a very small part of the chapter, but using someone else's voice sucks.
1: Oh, you mean now you see me? Yeah.
0: Oh, you yeah, said I catch me if you can. Scorsese. Also, yeah, also yeah. a good
1: movie. Also a good movie. Great movie. Yeah. Um, but, but do you concur? Yes. <laughs> Dr. Harris, do you concur?
0: <laughs> I concur. <laughs> so
1: for anybody <laughs> wondering, for anybody wondering why he didn't concur, um, it's because they actually saw the actual Edmure coming back from whoring. So at least he had some sense of duty. He didn't stay out all night, right? Uh, otherwise the Kingslayer very, very likely would have been freed and, 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 and ran away. Instead, he's in a deep dark dungeon somewhere chained to a wall.
0: And that's why these men are, are hanging on the wall in the first place. These are Lannisters that were supposedly carrying the peace terms from the imp and the queen. But instead, their hospitality was disrespected because these men tried to break Jamie out of his uh, cell, his tower cell, and instead they ended up all dying.
1: Well, I wonder whose idea it was to get them to double this because we saw the Tyrion chapter where he made these decisions and sent these men to deliver these updated, you know, peace terms. And and it's true nobody sets much in store by these terms. Um, it's still not something they're going to agree with on the whole. It's not going to end the it's war. A formality. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, part of it involved bringing Eddard's bones back and, and all this other stuff. But, you know, we saw Tyrion making these decisions, but somebody else must have gotten to these guys and been like, okay, also try and free the Kingslayer.
2: Well, it was specifically stated by Catalan that it smelled like the imp, right? That she, she recognized his handiwork on this because she remembered how he tried to, get out of his situation at the Erie.
1: But it was the Imp who said that she should have Edward's bones back, so she it does not have a proper compass. Um, and we know that it also wasn't the Imp who arranged for Bran to be killed. It's never been Tyrion, so whatever smells like him, she's just completely wrong.
0: It's another situation of prejudice. You know, Catelyn has been this way to characters throughout the series, and, you know, she knows John. so you can't really call it prejudice. It's his
1: fault for not having win- winning her over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, with, but with Tyrion, it's just that he's a Lannister, you know, and think about being a mother and this happening to your son falling from the tower. And then what happens with Ned? And now just her entire world being ripped in half, you know. The fact that this is all she thinks about any Lannister at this point, mm-hmm. I mean, it could be worse.
1: Well, something I wanted to bring up, um, and, and I guess it wouldn't be worth it if there weren't so many zombie, uh, things on TV right now because I kind of thought of this while I was seeing an ad for one of those but um Catelyn remarks about a hundred times in this chapter how once she sees Edward's bones she's like oh, that's smaller than than he was and uh oh yeah that's he's totally not his bones that's not the arm that held me that's just totally not him So what if that's not actually Ed? Do we really think that these are Ed's bones? Surely. Okay. They sewed his head back on. I mean, I guess that took some effort. But ultimately, I think it is his bones, but it's weird how she was just like, that's not them.
0: Without the fleshy existence of a body, you know, bones are just bones. Well, how
1: did the person delivering the bones, (laughs) like, find them to pick pick them out of a crowd of other bones and be like, yep, these are Edward Stark's? Um, were they still wearing the clothes? Like kind of his body was just being stored somewhere.
0: Well, I'm sure that Neb wasn't just thrown in a jumble of people. He was like one of the entire Lords of Westeros. Yeah. So no matter if he was a traitor or not, like they fed his eyes to the crows, you know, they, they, they kept tabs on where his carcass was. We'll say that. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think what sells it is the clothing. Um, although everything else is kind of. Smaller they than don't even give him ice. Yeah, well, that's that's the real problem I had is now where where the heck is ice? I mean, ice is.
2: So where's this going, Eric? Are you saying that Ned is still alive?
1: Well, no, I'm. I'm suggesting where else would his carcass be? You know, I mean, what what other use could they have it for? Because I thought it, basically my my prevailing thought in this whole thing when I'm reading it is that it was a little soon for the body to be completely decomposed into bones. Now, I I don't same yeah I, I don't have any li- like factual you know timeline to compare it to about how quickly humans decompose okay i i I admit that um but it seems a little soon for him to be reduced to all bone that's just that's just my thinking so why is he all bone and not some you know much more grotesque rotting corpse
2: that's a fair question no i mean it's it's an interesting point that you raise but maybe it's just a matter of the fact that his body was just ripped apart by crows and Hyenas, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, no,
1: and nobody nobody likes the bones.
2: I mean, you saw the disrespect, though, even though he was billed as a traitor by Joffrey, right? The fact that the guy's head has been tarred and is sitting atop the ramparts of King's Landing, and Tyrion has to be the one to go ahead and have it removed. I'm not apt to believe that the rest of his body was treated any better than his head was.
1: Yes, but unless it's left out in the sun or whatever... um. If it's in a tomb or in an enclosed area down below, I would think it would decompose slower.
0: Yeah, I mean it takes – like a a general coffin burial, it takes up to a year for things like ligaments to decompose because they're obviously a little bit more strong than other bits of tissue. But
1: Yeah, and and so if they had – basically there's – what I see as a contradiction here, which is that if they kept it anywhere – First, like, safekeeping to keep tabs on the body, all this other thing that they would have had to do because surely he his body was always bargaining chip. His body was always something that was going to be valuable uh, right. because it belonged somewhere else. If they kept it anywhere safe, it would have been indoors and it wouldn't have decomposed this fast. Okay,
2: Well, like I said, I think that that's definitely a fair point to raise. I don't have any sort of insight into that, though, so I can't really say one way or another what the deal is uh, with – Bones.
1: Well, we did hear from George R. R. Martin that we'd be learning more about Robert's Rebellion maybe through the uh, reanimated corpse of Eddard. <laughs>
0: That's such a morbid wow. thought. Uh,
2: <laughs> but let, let's talk a little bit about the person who brought the bones back, or at least one of the people who brought them back, uh, because Sir Cleos Frey, in typical Frey fashion, somehow weasels his way out of ending up on the ramparts of River Run. Uh, and Edmure is more than willing to sort of give him a bye, saying how great the phrase have been throughout the course of all of this uh, that has gone on. And not only that, there's word from Sir Courtney Penrose um, about how he has been surrounded at Storm's End. And he's offering an allegiance to any king who will sort of break the siege, right, and come to his aid and they mention um a particular character here who is of interest to Stannis um a bastard of Robert's another bastard what a surprise uh, <laughs> <Right>. Edric Storm <laughs> the question now is why wouldn't Rob go to the aid of of this individual and and try and help him out i mean he's he he's preoccupied for one mm. you know very preoccupied
0: I think that that might be the, the real reason right there, honestly.
2: Stannis is willing to allow safe passage for this particular person, right? But right. for anybody else, no dice. You know, he's basically saying turn this kid over or else. So clearly he has a vested interest in this person who is of his blood. And I guess this is the first
0: whisper of what we saw with Melisandre and her interest in the King's Blood.
1: Right. I think it is the King's Blood that that's that's why it's important.
0: That's what I thought when I read it too. I was like, mm, "You want the guy with the coolest last name that a bastard can get, possibly?" In all seven kingdoms, <laughs> yeah. You can be a stone. You can be a river. Uh, you can be snow, but you can only be a storm if you're a certain kind of person.
2: <laughs> so it's just um, you know, and, and I forget who else brings up. The point to Catalan is, you know, why not join forces with, with Stannis at this point and, you know, Unite against the Lannisters And and I forget what she says also But I know that that point is raised
0: She can't speak for Rob And I think that was the, the closer of that part of the conversation Because I mean when she showed up When she at first showed up They were like alright let's get your stuff ready We're taking you to the twins Rob would like you to be safe And he would like you to go check out the girls that he's going to marry And she's like fuck this What has yeah. he been doing <laughs> I haven't even gone that long Like here stable guy Get my horse, because uh, I'm going to go see my dad after I had this conversation. Edmer, tell me some of these things. Tell me what you guys are planning. Why the hell are we letting peasants enter the castle? You know, why are we doing this? Because we know that this place will possibly go under siege soon because Taiwan is marching his men west. And Edmer's like, listen, let him march his men west. We have like 8,000 people and like 300 horses. So we got this. And she's like, yeah, well, Taiwan has double of all of those numbers. And he's like, (laughs) well, Rob did it. And she's like, yeah, but... Oh, can we, can we have a conversation about this? And he's just like, Oh, no, we can't talk about it here. And she's like, All right, well, let's go somewhere and talk about it. And that's where it pissed him off. That's when we got to see Mad Edmer. Yeah.
1: I wondered though, if, I mean, Rob sent, it wanted to send Catelyn to go check out his future wife or whatever. Um, to pick one out, maybe to, to get the lay of the land, if you will, in a manner of speaking. Um, does this mean that at this point, Rob still intends to honor his, you know, betrothal? Uh,
2: Definitely.
1: To the phrase. Cause it's, you know, I. We haven't I'm heard anything I'm, otherwise.
2: You know, speaking of phrase though, another little nugget that got dropped in there that I don't think we learn about till we're actually at the red wedding, uh, in the show is that Roose Bolton got himself a fray as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: got himself a fray?
2: Yep. A female, Sounds like he an should be fray. seeing a
1: seamstress to fix that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, oh I got a seamstress. fray in my doublet. Oh.
0: Yeah, very, I mean, obviously we know some future situations that these two uh, families get themselves sorted into. But at the moment, um, Bruce Bolton is a strong bannerman on our side who is doing very well. You know, in the absence of Tywin being around certain areas of the country when he was inside of Harrenhal, this is where Bruce Bolton was allowed to be strong and, and take over things and obviously get married to someone.
2: And then I know that uh, you touched on this briefly, Zach, but the fact that Edmure is so willing to just allow anybody inside his castle walls yeah i thought it's kind of stupid um you know as as honorable it might as it might be it's also kind of stupid because look at just what happened not too long ago with these people getting inside the castle and looking to free the kingslayer yeah no that's a good point what if the people just decide to rebel
1: they just need to put up a sign that says "No mummers allowed."
0: Catelyn's point of view with what
2: Edmure is doing is that he has
0: a soft heart for people that are in trouble, and you know, with what's been happening um, early on in the series with the mountain basically raping the the, the Riverlands, this is uh, a shit time for all of them, and I think that. This chapter has so much jam-packed into it, just informational, from the beginning when we first land with Catelyn, and she's figuring out all the things Rob's been doing, and from the middle when we learn what's been going on with Edmer and their future battle plans and how kind of risky and crazy they are, but hell, they just might work, and then with with Brienne signing herself over to Catelyn and then with Catelyn needing to go see her father because he's on his deathbed. I mean, so much is happening. And, you know, this is just a small part of what she has to worry about, this particular situation right here. Yeah.
1: yeah. You mentioned, of course, Hoster Tully. She meets with him. He confuses her for her sister, Liza. Um, He is suffering from an, an ailment of the memory.
2: Mistaken identity. Well, I think even John Aaron is mentioned in this chapter. He
0: is, and it's interesting uh, because I'd never really put the context together, I guess, 100% in motion. But we're seeing Hoster Tully, who is this great, proud lord, Catelyn's father. And he has reached uh, a stage of his life where his body is weakening, and he's falling prey to age. And that's why he's mistaking Cat for Lysa, which happens. You know, um dementia, et cetera, happens. And, this and is his sisters, is close.
1: He's close. Absolutely, he didn't accidentally call one um, of them Oprah. You know, it's just
0: <laughs> Oprah. You get a car, you get a horse. Sorry,
2: yeah, I only had one car. I would just say that I think it's important to pay attention to his words because, as delusional as he may come across to us, uh, clearly there is a deeper meaning in the things that he's saying. You know, talking to her as if she's Lysa, You know, referencing John Aaron. There is a moment too when he says that stripling wretched boy mm-hmm. not speak that name to me, your duty, your mother, she would, you know, so we're getting references here to Catlin's mother as well. And this wretched boy who I think we may be able to guess at who that might be. Oh yeah.
1: Is it Liza's kid? Is it, uh, Joffrey?
0: No, 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 Because, uh, Tully is thinking in the mindset that these girls are much younger and they're unmarried. You know, she's basically, he, he said, You know, you can get married as well when Kat gets married. You know, you're not too young or whatever. And so that is obviously the marriage of Catelyn and Brandon that he's speaking about. So this would date this pre-Brandon's murder. So I'm assuming that this annoying stripling boy that Hoster's talking about can be no other than a Mr. Peter Baelish, a.k.a. Littlefinger. There you go. I would agree with that. Annoying child. A wretched boy. Yeah. So Tully is a good guy because he's got a strong sense of judgment, I think.
1: Peter really must have burned that bridge. I don't know, made a bad first impression or something.
0: Well, I'm not quite sure the importance of this other than we just have some relevant backstory saying that Baelish has kind of always been a very determined go-getter even if it annoyed (laughs) certain people probably the father of the girls he was goat getting yeah (laughs) indeed i think that's fair that's a fair assumption yeah well i mean this chapter was was large many many things were inside of it and again this is one of those moments when we need to remind you that you know this show strives to be as comprehensive as possible but there are just so many small details in here with, you know, Brienne questioning Stannis' claim, this is something that, you know, we could talk about in detail because she's just going on and on and on about how, you know, Renly was just as much the king as Stannis was because, you know, Stannis is the the younger brother of a man that just took the throne himself, you know, mm. as an example you know, there were conversations like that jam-packed into this chapter, but this is one of those things that you just have to do along with us to make the show even more grandiose than it could be.
1: Yes, and another one of those things that we do is uh, owns, of course. This is Game of Owns, and we offer our owns for each chapter that we read um, in this series. And, and y'all who've been listening should be familiar with this, but if you're a brand-new listener, here's how it goes. I am going to give my own for this chapter to the Kingslayer. And do it, y'all. yeah. And this is not something that I I plan to do often. Uh, I don't like the Kingslayer as much as everybody else does. But uh, <laughs> you have to give credit where it's due, um, especially because you know long periods of captivity uh, can make one a little dim in the mind. And not to mention if he was shut off from the light, um, a little disorientation, etc. But once the shackles were unshackled the Kingslayer took with him several men, uh, in his escape attempt. He was on it. He was being freed. All of a sudden, boom, he's, he's out. He's killing people. He is at the top of his game. Well, perhaps, uh, closer to the top of his game than one would expect from someone who's just been shackled. So he took a few men with him. He didn't make it all the way out, but I'm going to give him my own because, uh, he seemed to be able to jump at a moment's notice and he didn't jump far enough, but still I, I'd say that, that he owned those few people, uh, whom were nearest to where he was being
2: kept. Yep, he's one of the best. Get on, get on. Uh, I will give it to Catalin uh, when she, is, I'm surprised Eric didn't say something. Uh, when, uh, she was talking to, Oh, come on. Brienne, she was referring to Renly and she says, you know, this is during the whole swearing of her loyalty ceremony. Um, Catelyn says, you served him valiantly, but when you seek to follow him into the earth, you serve no one. Boom. Hey, she would say it in that deep of a voice. No. Oh, darn.
1: <laughs> I'd like to hear your close. Catelyn voice one day, Micah.
2: You
0: seek
1: Maybe no after one. a couple of blonde ales.
0: <laughs> All right, well, my own goes to a Mr. Rob Stark, King of the North, and this is directly from the book. The, George's words supersede mine in this case, he says. Her men wanted to hear more of Rob's victory at the Oxcross, and Rivers obliged. There's a singer come to River Run, calls himself Ryman the Rhymer. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a song of the fight. Doubtless you'll hear it sung tonight, my lady. Wolf in the night, this Ryman calls it. He went on to tell how the remnants of Sir Stafford's host had fallen back on Lannisport. Without siege engines, there was no way to storm Casterly Rock. So the young wolf which is a great nickname, I think, was paying the Lannisters back in kind for the devastation they'd inflicted on the Riverlands. Lords Karstark and Glover were raiding along the coast. Lady Mormont had captured thousands of cattle and was driving them back toward a river run badass i think she actually might get the own lady yeah who is lady (laughs) what is this come on (laughs) while the great john had seized the gold mines at castamere nuns deep and the pendric hills sir wendell laughed nothing's more like to bring a lannister running than a threat to his gold so actually i refute that it was rob's own the own goes to this paragraph and everyone in it so, yes, uh, and Lady nice. Mormont especially for driving all the cattle. Yeah, who just, is Lady well Mormont? Done.
2: This particular reference is to Mage Mormont who is the head of House Mormont and the lady of Bear Island. That just sounds so dirty. That's <laughs>
0: awesome, though. Uh, sure. She inherited
2: her title from her nephew, Sir Jorah, after he fled into exile. She is the sister of yeah. the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Ah. Uh. Sister. Sister. I was
0: just gonna say that.
2: Obi-Wan was wise to hide her from me.
0: Sister. There is another Mormont. (laughs) (laughs) That's the last thing. Oh god. Now, we can say that it's definitely in the blood here. Can we, can we agree with this? It's in the blood. It's in the blood. Yeah. Alright, you get my own Mage Mormont. You are a badass. Indeed. Well. Uh
1: that completes our owns for this episode. Now, we do want to inform you uh just how you can send us your owns. Uh first option is via Twitter, actually, at twitter.com slash game of owns, just at reply us, game of owns, and say, hey, at gameofowns, here is my own.
0: It's, it's as simple easy. as that.
1: It is it just really that is. simple. Or you can email your owns to us at contact at game of That's our email address. Don't wear it
0: out. We have a mass we have a massive selection of tweets and emails from this week so far and they will continue to pile until we collectively dump them into our friday episode because next Tyrion chapter i believe right
1: uh well Dennis is daenerys is oh sorry
0: uh dennis because uh, (laughs) (laughs) dennis (laughs) um (laughs) dennis uh our next chapter with mr dennis (laughs) um daenerys's younger brother no um uh, our next chapter is much shorter than this, so uh, we look forward to you piling those even more because we're going to have a – I'm sure it'll be something with music behind it and we'll make it some kind of hilariousness that you'll enjoy over the weekend.
1: Keep on pilot. Um, What am I forgetting? Oh, yes, scroll on our wall. We ask that you get scrolling on our wall and, Uh Facebook the wall. Um facebook.com no. <laughs> slash game. This is terrible. Um, Won't you
0: take an oath and become a watcher on our wall alongside the rest of the folks that have been writing?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, we are taking oaths now, uh, for patrolling of our walling.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Eric needs some sleep. Um, you can wall on our scroll <laughs> if you go to yeah.
1: facebook.com slash game of owns. Mm-hmm.
0: It's true. And notice our cover photo. It's a large photo of Robert Baratheon not giving any
2: fucks That's
0: No right, fucks whatsoever. are given. Uh, Zero. But,
2: yeah, I, I would point out, though, that on our Monday episode that you posted, Karina Garcia says, it's been a rough day. I need your dulcet tones in my ear holes. Thanks for rescuing me
1: yeah I'm pretty sure she was just talking about you. You're the only one around yeah. here with dulcet
0: tones, yeah, there's nothing dulcet about how I speak. I sound like a like a confetti cannon that got caught underneath a snow like snow plow. You know what I mean like
1: <laughs> what was that sound again, Zach <laughs>
0: <laughs> also, um there is a place on the internet that sometimes people go to download music. I actually recently rented my first uh, movie on there ever on my Apple TV Isn't for the it first weird time. how it
1: disappears after 24 hours?
0: Well, it's not gone yet. It'll be gone tonight at 3 a.m. Don't ask me what I was doing last night at 3 a.m. <laughs> because I will never
2: tell you. You
1: were watching a movie, clearly.
2: I was watching a film was and that place is iTunes. It is. And uh, you know, as we do from time to time, we read your reviews of our podcast on this show and we only do so if you leave us some insightful words along with a rating of five stars. It is the month of October, so nothing less than that is acceptable, and uh, we'll read some of your reviews later on in the week. We read one on Monday's episode from Rob, um, and uh, as we continue to compile those along with the tweets, uh, as Zach mentioned, uh, we will inundate your ear holes with <laughs> Good words from fellow <laughs> listeners. Otherwise, threats will I don't follow. I
0: uh, there's anything that I can say to follow that up. So Zach Louie will have to do. Inundated
1: earholes.
2: Is that your name? <laughs>
0: no, no, no. My name <laughs> is Eric
1: Skull, but inundated earholes somehow sounds
2: better. And uh, friend, we
1: will see you Prepare day. to be inundated. Well, happy Hump Day! you we'll see
0: will uh, hear us.